or whatever, but some way that we begin to get back into the area of ministry and teaching and growing. Amen? Uh, we don't want to be at a standstill. Now, somebody used to tell me all the time, Gus, if you're standing still, you're drifting backwards. You just don't know it. <laughs> and that's a reality. Whenever you stand still, you're not making progress. You're not going forward. And most likely, you are drifting backwards and not really paying attention to it. And uh, we need to be able to get back into ministry in a sense. And um, we're going to gauge it. Um, we're not going to rush out here. We're still going to keep masks. We're still going to do checks. We're still going to do things that help keep us safe. But let's not become so fearful of COVID that God takes a second seat to it. Is that understandable? See, he's, the, he's still the God who protects us. Yes, there have been Christians who have died of COVID. There's a sister of ours over at Chapel Hill Church, Pastor Adam's wife. She came down with COVID, both of them. They had had their shots and everything else. And it attacked her spinal area. She is paralyzed from the neck down. And has been that way for the last two and a half months now. And the doctors don't know if this thing is going to end or is this now her permanent life. So pray for Denise and Adam. Adam has two young girls that now he's basically raising as a single parent. The oldest one is 12 and the other one is 9. And he hasn't really told them yet about their mom. And at some point he knows he's going to have to do that. And that's going to be a difficult moment for him. And now they moved her from the hospital down to select. Um, we're praying that God would intervene because even as the doctor has Admit it, they've done basically all they can do. And now it's basically a wait and see what's going to happen. So if you remember Denise in your prayers, I would appreciate it. Because she's paralyzed from the neck down. She is starting to communicate a little bit, which was a blessing to Adam. Because for a while, she could not even speak. But she is starting to communicate some. And that is a blessing right there to get a few words out. So uh, if you can, continue to pray and intercede for them. And again, this is a new year. January. The word January is basically a Latin word. And what it means simply is this, an open door. An open door. And the Romans believed that it was leaving your past behind you and stepping into something completely new. In one sense, they are correct. Our past is where we're at now, behind us. And we're stepping into a brand new year. Let's step in it with high expectations from God from what God's going to do, not what we're going to make happen, 
of what God's going to do in each and every one of our lives. And if you haven't prayed, Lord, continue to work in my life and change me, I would challenge you to pray that. Lord, continue to work. Why? Because you promised. And whom you have begun a good work in, you will do what? You will continue. And that you want him to continue to grow your faith and minister to you. But he says sometimes, if we ask not, we have not. And you need to refresh yourself that this is a life that you yourself cannot develop. This is something that God has to do in you and through you. It's not something that you can fake. It's not something that you can really live unless the Holy Spirit really makes it genuine and gives you the authority to live a Christian life. It's a work of God and not of humanity, not of self-will per se or strong determination, though those are needed. But it is a work of God in our lives that develop us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for a brand new year, for a new day, for a new start. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to start well, that we will come out of our starting block quicker than we've ever done before looking for you, O God, to work in our lives, to do that, Lord, which is beyond our imagination, because you are a God, Lord, that these little finite minds cannot even begin to figure out, but that, Lord, you would work in us in such a way that, Lord, even we ourselves would look in the mirror and say, wow, what a change, what a difference that we would somehow, Lord, be surprised by the work that you do in us and through us. So we pray even this morning that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us, that we might sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and learn from him. And Lord, let me never, 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 never try to deliver your word without your permission and to understand that it's a privilege. Use me, O God, for your glory. Not for self-esteem, not for self-worth, but strictly for your glory. Would you speak to your people and Lord will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the the days in which we're living, they are difficult days. And one of the things that you and I have to ask ourselves is simply this. Why do we fall behind? Why do we see those who say that they're Christians fall behind or fall off? Why is it that people who are of the Lord, and the scripture tells us not to be lazy in these spiritual things and not to take it for granted, but to really be hearers and workers of what we hear. And yet somehow so many of us fall off. 
And the question has to be asked is, why? And I want to challenge you in this area. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that scripture is true? If you are convinced that scripture, that the word of God is true, you need nothing else but the word of God. You need nothing else but the word of God. We put a lot of other things in with it that we think we have to have. The main thing we have to have is a desire to know God's word for ourselves. And then the ability to live it out. But first, before I can ever live it out or practice it, I have to be convinced that this is truth. Remember what God says in James, a double-minded man will receive nothing from him. So if I'm trying to play Christian and believe in a lot of Buddhism or believe in a lot of this and believe in a lot of that, then scripture has to take a back seat to other things. It has to be the word of God or really nothing. Why? The Holy Spirit only responds to the word of God. To the word of God, the Holy Spirit responds. He doesn't respond to the teachings of Buddha. He doesn't respond to the teaching of Islam. He doesn't respond to spiritualism. He responds to the word of God because he is the power that is activated in your life to live that word that you have read. Nothing else. Nothing else. But the question is, are you convinced? Are you, persu- are you persuaded that scripture is true? See, sometimes you are, the argument is, let's get the people in here, let's get the people. No, people who want to hear, you can't keep them away. Don't waste your time on those who don't want to really hear it. But be ready to give it to those who want to hear it and respond to it. And the question is, do I really believe scripture is true? True about what? Is it true about you and me? And that's what scripture talks about. It talks about us. Yes, it uses other people's names. But it's also talking about us. And we need to recognize that. And that's what the Bible takes us from one generation to another generation. God doesn't have to write a new Bible every couple of generations because it don't fit. This word of God is eternal and it fits humanity no matter what age we're in. Because it's talking about us. Scripture talks about you. What is it talking about? Your past and your future. It's talking about your past and your future.
But the question is, are you convinced that Scripture is telling you the truth concerning your past and your present life, your future? Is Scripture truthful? Or is it just some man-made-up stories to make us feel good? One of the problems we're having in Christianity is our identity with Christianity. How we see ourselves. Sadly to say, many of us still see ourselves more connected with the world and the way the world describes us, and therefore our behavior, our attitude, our speech, our talk, all of that comes from the mindset of the world rather than from the Word of God. Is Scripture telling you the truth concerning you? Now, if you believe that Scripture is talking about you, here comes our problem sometimes. Scripture is only talking about that person it names in the Bible. Scripture is only talking about that group of people that it's talking to. It doesn't really refer to me. It's not relevant to me. It's not part of my life. Yes, it is. You may see that, yeah, the Jews were in Egypt in captivity. You need to understand, Egypt can also be a, a symbolicness of a word of sin where you are, what, captive and enslaved to it. And the only one who can set you free from that is God himself, the same with Israel. The only one who could call Israel out of Egypt was the living God. And the only one who can call us out of sin and selfishness is a living God. No one else. We have to really look at scripture and ask this question. Is it talking to me? Or is it just a history book? Is it something that really don't matter? And that's why a lot of people don't read it. Because they believe it really don't matter. It just believes on their attitude towards God that they believe in God, but everything in their life, the way they live and act and talk and behave, God is nowhere in it. If you believe that Scripture is talking about you and not someone else in the past, but it's speaking directly to you, if you believe it is speaking to you, how are you responding? When you pick up the Word of God and you do your devotions and you're reading it, how are you responding to it? Do you see yourself being glad and rejoicing over what God says? Or do you see yourself sometimes weeping? Do you say to yourself sometimes, I'm an unworthy servant? 
Do you say to yourself, God, I don't know why you even give thought to me. And you'll be agreeing with the angels because the angels said, Lord, why are you even concerned about them? What impact does scripture make on your mind, your heart, and your life? A lot of people, there's no impact as for they don't read it. They don't open it. They don't see themselves there. They're beyond that. And yet, it is the vital thing that we need for life. The word of God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What I want you to look at, because again, it talks about your past, your present, your future. Go and pick up in verse 9. And Paul here talks a little bit about the past, but then what you are. And we need to understand, we all got a past. Pastor Brown was not always a pastor. Pastor Brown was not always a Christian. Pastor Brown knew what was happening down on Howard Street. And Pastor Brown knew them late hour places. Pastor Brown knew those basement parties. There's a lot of things that Pastor Brown used to do before he was saved. Now, don't look at me like that strange, because that's your life too. We all have that past. And understand this. When we came to Christ, it all just didn't immediately what? Stop. It didn't just stop the moment we accepted Christ into our life. But he began to wean us off of it. Because it was like a drug addiction. That was part of the world that we knew. That was part of our life. But as I get into the word of God, he weans me off of it. He brings joy in a different way. He brings peace in a different way. He brings contentment in a different way. He calls me to see people different and see myself differently. He begins to work in us. So in 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 9, he says, Paul says, Do not, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now who is he talking to? Christian. But he's educating them on something. So he said, don't you really know that the wicked will not inherit? And also he's talking to those who may be sitting in the congregation among the group who have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's just saying to them, I want you to have this piece of information. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on and he says, do not be deceived. Now, who is that? Ooh, that's the Christian. They ain't worried about the wicked one deceiving himself. But it's the Christian who sits and hears the word of God and yet will not really pay attention to it or adhere to it or apply it to their life. He said, don't you be deceived. And over in Galatians it says, God won't be mocked. The, the, the question is, are some of us deceiving ourselves? Now catch this. Nobody has the right to really say, you're saved, I'm saved. You're not saved, 
but I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody has that right, really. The one who really knows is who? Is God. Is God. Now, who's the other person that really knows? And God's going to work with that. But he tells you, and he gives you a warning. Don't deceive yourself that you're so accepted at any cost. See, see, God is not so needy that he needs you so badly that he will take you in any type of condition. Don't deceive yourself. See, a lot of people deceive themselves with grace. Remember talking with a man and he was going to go ahead and stay in this affair with another woman and he had planned to do this, this, and that and then he's going to tell me, I'm covered by grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Don't deceive yourself about grace. Grace is that unmerited favor upon God in your life that you might live in such a way that honors him and glorifies him. That's God's grace. Don't go out here and sin and say, oh, this is the grace of God that's keeping me. No, it isn't. And he goes on and he says, now, do not deceive neither the sexual immoral, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor male prostitute, nor homosexual offender, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that, that fits a lot of people. That fits a lot of us. But let's go a little bit further. But you were washed Verse 11. And that is what some of you, what? Were. See, everybody don't come to Christ being a virgin. We need to understand that. Everybody doesn't come to Christ being a virgin. The lady at the well was not a virgin. But yet Christ took time with her. And showed her a different life. Told her about her past. But also showed her a little glimpse of what her future would be by simply saying this. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst no more. Go and sin no more. See, God's going to talk to us about our past. But also about our future. That we can deal with our past and get it behind us. No counselor can really get your past behind you. But God takes your past, and if you would believe it, he puts it in the deepest ocean to remember it no more. He puts it as far as the east is to the west, so that you'll never have to say, well, God's thinking of me in my past tense, in my other life. No, he isn't. That's gone. God is dealing with you in your present and your future life of what he's developing 
He don't waste time on the past. He's dealing with your future life. You got to get busy in dealing with your future life. And that's what holds up a lot of Christians. They're not busy really discovering what God would have for them because they don't believe the word. And they're not in that word. And he, he says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed. Now just think of something. When you wash something, you don't throw it in the water and do what? Pick it right out. If you had that old ringer style, you had to put it in there and had to do what? If you go back further, you put it in there and you put it on the scrub board. In other words, there was some work that had to be done in order to get it clean. And to get our lives clean from what they used to be, God goes to work in us. That's why he says, he who has begun a good work in you, because he's the ones doing it. He's working in your life. He's developing your life. He's taking away the old in order for the new to come in. He's washing you. He's cleansing you. He's cleansing your mind. He's cleansing your body that it doesn't crave for what it used to crave. He's giving you a new way of thinking and of seeing. He's washing you that you might be clean in his presence. And he says, this is what you once were, but, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart. How many of you, when you're washed, you take all your clothes and throw them in? Last night I was putting some clothes over in the dirty clothes pile. Hey, lady said, I already got the whites in. Well, I couldn't put those things because they were already in. I just threw them over in the wash area to be washed later. How many of you take your colors or your dark colors or, or this and you do the separation of them before you wash? See, when I wash, I just throw it all in there. But w- when the Lord says he sanctifies you, God has set you apart from everybody else. That's what that word sanctify means, to be set apart. Why? You're not like anybody else. You're not like anybody else. Yes, you're going to get washed. But you're going to get washed in the manner that fits you, not everybody else. And he says, you're sanctified. You're sanctified. And then he goes on, he says, you were justified. In whose sight? In God's sight. Maybe not in man's sight. And maybe not even in your sight. Because there's something sometimes we do in life is hard for us to, for what? Forgive ourselves. And it takes God to work in our lives. To do that. And then he moves from that area of sanctified justification in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because it really does take the work of God to do this. Now, James brings us to a point, and this is the point that we have to wrestle with. A lot of us hear the word, 
But there has to become a place in life that you stop hearing and you start doing. We always put the doing on the other people. We never put the doing on who? Ourselves. We listen and we hear. And yes, faith comes by hearing. But we leave a part out. Unless you step out on faith, what you heard really means nothing. Let's illustrate that with Peter. Peter says to Jesus, tell me to come out. Tell me to step out. And the Jesus told Peter, come. And Peter only took two steps on the water. And then some. At least by faith, he acted and he was able to take one or two steps on the water before he sunk. In other words, all I'm saying is simply this. If you're saying you have faith, what are you stepping out in that faith in? What are you believing? And that's part of the thing about faith. Do you really believe God? See, we call God a sovereign God. That he has all power. He can do everything. He can do everything but bring me the right man to marry. He can bring everything but bring me the right woman to marry. He can bring everything. He can take care of everything else. Until you take that thing that you struggle with or you fear and give it to him and step out in faith that God is handling and God's going to do it and you're going to believe scripture of how scripture says you should respond and what you ought to be doing and then move out in faith doing that. Don't worry about how other people think, feel, or see you. Watch how God responds to your faith. Watch and see how God responds because your confidence is in God. You are persuaded that God is telling you the truth and therefore you step out. It's the same thing as that child when they're somewhere and daddy stands out there and says, jump. They jump because they're persuaded in their mind that God, that their dad's going to catch them. If there was any doubt, they wouldn't jump. But because dad says it, they jump. And dad catches them. When you jump out there in faith, because scripture demands you to do so, because God has spoken to you, God will be right there to catch you. You won't fall. Don't mean you won't have some struggles. But he's there to catch you. And we need to understand that. That he really is there. And James says there's come a time you've got to stop listening. But you've got to start doing. And a lot of us listen. And do Nothing. You can go to college all day long, listen to everything they say, and never graduate. And we've had a lot of people do that. They can go and hear a professor teach and this and that. But when it comes time to the test, it shows that they haven't been a doer of what they've heard. They don't really believe what they heard. And they go nowhere. Faith doesn't grow without application. Understand that. 
faith doesn't grow without application, without you applying it to your life. The question is, why must we do what Scripture says? And that's what people sometimes get hung up on. Why do I got to follow Scripture? Go to Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4. Because, see, without you practicing it, there are certain things in your life that is not going to happen. And you want to see these things happen in your own personal life because they're important. In Romans 15, 4, he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So what is God saying? He's taking examples of the past, of his word, where he has spoken to Israel and so forth. Either they did it or didn't do it. He's showing us both sides. Not just the good side. He's showing us also the ugly side too. He shows us everything. And he said, now, I didn't write this to embarrass the people. I didn't write this for you to say, oh, I couldn't have made them do something. He says, I'm writing this that you might learn from it. That we might learn from it. And he goes on and he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance. Now, what's the thing about endurance? See, Israel didn't have endurance and they fell off. Endurance, you can put another word to it stick to itiveness. You stay with it. You stay with it. You stay with your faith. You stay with that which you are convinced of. You stay with the truth. You stay with it. You're stuck with it. You're right on it. No matter what comes, what kind of wind, storms, or whatever in life, you stay with the truth. You endure. And in enduring, sometimes there's some hardships. There's some pains. There's some difficulties. But you endure. The word gives you the ability to endure. It gives you the strength to endure. And then he says, boy, endurance, the encouragement of the scripture. How does endurance come? Endurance comes through the encouragement of God's word. If you're out of God's word, where are you getting your encouragement from? If you're not under the word and learning of God's word, where are you getting your encouragement from? See, don't look so much. And I know Barnabas, his gift was encouragement. But don't look so much because we put too much in man and God says, trust no man. That includes pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, all of us. Why? We're all faulty. We all can fall. But you allow the scripture to be your main encourager. When the scripture says to do this, that's where you apply your faith to it and you do it. And then the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and he keeps saying, stay at it now. Let's stay at it. We need to do this next. Let's just stay with this thing. I know it's rough. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know people are calling you foolish and crazy and looking at you all kind of way, but you just endure and you stay with it. 
the scripture encourages us and walks us through our difficulties of time. But if you're not in the scripture, where do you get your encouragement and your endurance from? And that's what we see with a lot of Christians who fall off to the side. They're not in the word. They're not enduring. They're not being encouraged by what God has already taught. Romans 4, 21. I want you to pick up two words. Romans 4, 21. Two very important words that sometimes we read and we're reading very fast and we just run right on past them. Listen to what it says now. Being fully persuaded. Are you fully persuaded about what you believe and who you believe in? The one that you believe in, is he truly God? Or is there some other gods? Are you fully persuaded that Jesus Christ is the totality of God and all that there really is when it comes to deity. Are you fully persuaded that there's nobody else but Jesus Christ and him alone? And Paul says here, being fully persuaded that God had power. Do you believe God has power? All power. Do you believe that that power can work in your life and for your benefit? Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, he opened doors and closed doors. But let me ask you, what doors has God opened for you lately? See, yes, it's just like the woman. And sometimes Elaine reminds me every now and then because she'll get right to the door and guess what she'll do? She'll just stand there. And I have to open the door. Now, now is it that she don't have power to open the door? And sometimes I'm like, you just go ahead and open that door, girl. <laughs> she has the power to open it. But she'll wait for me to open it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a recognition of my position and how I am to care about her and to service her and to demonstrate to others this is someone who I truly care about and love. See? God wants to demonstrate his power in your life. He wants others to be able to see what he does in you and through you. You're the one who has to say, use me, Lord. And sometimes you have to wait at the door. Just don't pull it open, knock it down. Yes, you have the strength to make it happen. But wait on God to allow it to happen. That's patience. 
And that's what the word says sometimes, to wait upon the Lord. Sometimes we rush into things and, and boy, we get all messed up. But we did it to ourselves because we're not believing that God is powerful enough to take care of my situation. He's not powerful enough to take care of my needs. He's not powerful enough. Unless you're fully persuaded, God is more powerful than your husband. Don't worry about knocking Elaine down. It wouldn't take much to knock Elaine down. But if I mess with Elaine, I got to mess with God. If I don't take care of her as God has prescribed for me to take care of, I'm not in trouble with Elaine. I'm in trouble with God. And she understands that principle. So she'll tell me real quick, I'm not scared of you. Why? She hiding behind Jesus. You come on out from behind Jesus. (laughs) But that's the thing. Do we have the confidence do we really believe our God is powerful? More powerful than anything that we might face. Do we believe that? And he says, boy, I am persuaded that God has power. Power to what? To do what he has promised. That, that God does have the power to keep his word, that all that he said in here, he is more than capable and able to perform and do. But who has to believe it? And that's why he tries to get me to understand a man who, is, who has a double-mindedness, who is sometime on, sometime off, sometime this, sometime that, they'll receive nothing from the Lord. But when you're consistent, and you are convinced, and you are persuaded that your God is more than able, that he is able to do the impossible. He's able to really tackle those real hard things of life. That he is the one who loves you more than anyone else, and he will intercede in your life that he might be glorified. Boy, when you, when you got that mindset, you can do anything. When you trust God, it frees you up. It removes the fears. And he said, boy, that he is powerful to do what? To keep his promises. What promises in your life are you claiming? that God has said to you. See, Gus Brown in his own natural self, no, I'm not worthy to be here. So I always fall back on one little thing. He called me. And I believe that he called me to do what I'm doing. And see, I even tried to step in and said, boy, I was going to be retired. I even gave a hint to the district that I most likely will be retiring. 
And God said something else. He even sent Roscoe to talk to me. The, 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 the thing is, do we believe God? Now, Scripture helps us, and this is one of the critical parts for us. And you'll, if you really look at life and look at people, you'll see this. Scripture helps us to define us. It helps us to see ourselves. And it reveals the new identity of ourselves. It reveals the ungodly woman, then the godly woman. It reveals the ungodly man, and then the godly man. It shows us both. And we have to choose. It helps us to see ourselves in a new life. The clock is beating me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 3. What I want to dig out of this is the word prophesy. But everyone who prophesies speaks to who? To men. Everybody who preaches the word, everybody who speaks on behalf of God is speaking to men. For what purpose? For their strengthening and encouragement. Now catch this third word that comes in here. For their comfort. Not for your relaxation, but for your peace of mind. For your comfort. For you're not confused. For you have direction. And go to Acts 15. I'm speeding up just a little bit. Acts chapter 15, 30 and 31. And, and, and take note of what he's going to say about these people. Because I'm hoping this is what happens to you even. I think I got it right there. Acts 15, 30 and 31. Let me get there. Come on, pages. Look at the people. Look at their response. Then ask yourself this. Is this your response? Is this something that could be said about you? So in verse 30 it says, Then men were sent off and went down to Antioch, for they gathered the church together and delivered the letters. Now what's the letters? God's word. These aren't some lovey-dovey type letters. This is God's word that they're going to hear. The people read it. Now look at the response. And we're glad. When you read the scriptures, do you rejoice? When you read the scriptures, are you glad? When you read the scriptures, what is your response to it? See, that's what's important to understand. How you are responding to God's word to you. Not to somebody else. 
but to you. How are you responding? Are you responding negatively or are you responding positively? Are you responding with, yes, Lord, I'll do, Lord. Yes, Lord, thank you for correcting this in my life. Thank you, Lord, for adding this into my life. Thank you, Lord. Is there a gladness? Because you have the privilege of reading God's word. And he goes on, he says, again, look at this word encouraging that pops up again. For it's encouraging message. What does God's word do? It encourages us. It encourages. Last part, next week we're going to look at Peter and Paul. Their persuasion, their change. But right now, go to Acts 13. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Fifteen, fifteen. where are you? Here you are. After the reading from the law, what are they reading? Again, God's word. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Now I want you to look at the reaction of Paul. God opens the door. But Paul has studied. Paul has changed. Paul's eyes have been opened. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people's purpose during their stay in, I'm sorry, he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. What is he doing? Why go all the way back to Egypt? He's talking about their what? Their past. And you can follow that on down. And Paul is talking about their past. Now, jump over to verse 38 with me real quick. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Now he begins to talk about their what? Their future. He talks about their past. Now he brings them to a place to look at their future if they want it. Understand this. God brings all of us to certain points in our life where he gives us a little glimpse of what our future can be. The question is, will I trust him? He won't show us everything. He showed me this little glimpse. Now, it's up to you and I to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And he, he goes down from there. He said, through him, everyone who believes is justified. Tell you again about your future. Because, see, from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Don't deceive yourself. The law won't get you to heaven. The law won't get you to the point of salvation. The law won't do this. Justified by the law. Now, take care 
that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your day that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further. Boy, is he opening up a future for Paul? Is he showing Paul what can really happen even in him? Join Barnabas. As we step out in faith, and we do, God opens the door, and then he shows us more of what our life can really be. And he goes on, and he says in 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devoted converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Oh boy, God is just opening doors and showing Paul what his future can be. Not Saul. Now here's the important part, and we'll bring it out more next week. This is not Saul. This is Paul. Saul couldn't have lived this life. Paul's living this life. Saul was the murderer. Saul was the one hunting down Christians. Saul was the one doing all this other stuff. But here's Paul preaching the word. Here's God opening doors for Paul to do that. That's the Paul. That's the change. But he had to trust who? God. How many of you are willing to say, Lord, I'm in your hands? That's all God's asking you to do. Give me the right to shape you, to form you. Give me the right to be the head of your life. Give me the right to mold you. Give me the right to give you a future that you will rejoice in and I'll be glorified in. It all boils down to one thing. Do you believe Are you convinced that God's word is speaking about you? And it's the truth. Father, would you help us, Lord? Because we are people of the flesh. We can do things out of habit. We can do things, Lord, just to be doing it, but that doesn't mean that I'm really trusting you is something that I can do in and, and on my own, and, and I just do it. And, and sometimes, Lord, we just thank you, and, and we should. But, Lord, our desire is to become a people who are empowered from within by the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't matter whether we eat or drink or whatever little thing we do, is done through the power and the strength and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Let us not walk in this life in the flesh. Let us not try to live this Christian life in this flesh. But, oh God, may we dig deeply into your word and understand 
that it is a work of God in the believer's life that makes the difference. And the question is, are we confident in you? Are we convinced that your word is true? Do we hold to it even if we suffer for a moment? Do we endure and do we stay with it? Lord, minister to us, I pray. Let us not leave this place with a double-mindedness. But may everyone, Lord, in this room leave this place with a new confidence in your word. That, Lord, through the scriptures, you're going to speak to them. In the scriptures, you're going to form them and shape them. Through the scriptures, you're going to open up new doors for them. Through the word of God that is a living word, it's going to be activated in their life. May we leave with the confidence that your word is true and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.